As we open to God's word this afternoon, I invite you to turn to back to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 6 this time. If you haven't guessed from the scripture readings and, and text for today, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount at Redeeming Grace, where I serve. And so we'll jump back to Matthew chapter 6 and read from verses 5 through 15. And our focus uh, will be verses 7 through 15 uh, with Lord's Day 45 tied in. So Matthew 5, or Matthew 6, starting at verse 5, hear God's word to us this afternoon. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you pray, but you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And to help us better understand this, we'll turn to Lord's Day 45. Lord's Day 45 from the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that on page 893, 893 in the back of the Trinity Psalter hymnal. Lord's Day 45, question and answer 116 asks, Why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us, and also because God will give His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who continually and with heartfelt longing ask God for these gifts and thank Him for them. How does God want us to pray so that He will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart to no other than the one true God who has revealed Himself to us in His Word, asking for everything He has commanded us to ask of Him. Second, we must fully recognize our need and misery so that we humble ourselves in his majestic presence. Thirdly, we must rest on his unshakable foundation. Even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayers because of Christ our Lord, as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? Everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord himself taught us. And question and answer 19 is the Lord's Prayer, which we just read uh, from Matthew 6. 
will be part of our focus this afternoon. about you, but prayer is something that I can find very difficult. It's, it's interesting that it seems like it's a simple enough thing, and yet it can be very difficult to live, to have a consistent prayer life. This is something that throughout uh, church history, Christians have found. There's a, a record of a discussion with one of the early church fathers in the early centuries of the church, where this church father was asked about his uh, spiritual habits or his spiritual disciplines. And he was to, to the person asking him, this church father responded by saying this. He said, Forgive me, but I think there is no labor greater than that of prayer to God. For every time a man wants to pray, his enemies, the demons, want to prevent him. For they know that it is only by turning him from prayer that they can hinder his journey. Whatever good work... A man undertakes, if he perseveres in it, he will attain rest. But prayer is warfare until the end. There's numerous reasons why, as we think of the difficulty of prayer, there's numerous reasons we could give for it. Sometimes we're just distracted very easily, particularly in our day and age where there seems to be so much noise in various forms around us. Or sometimes perhaps you don't know what to pray, you feel you don't have the words to say maybe you're you're struggling in your faith in a certain way and feel as if God can't actually hear uh, what you are saying it feels as if your prayers don't leave the room that you're in perhaps you're just generally discouraged and isn't it ironic that in the times that we need to pray the most those are often the times where it is the hardest to pray we don't know for sure, but it's interesting to note that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spends the most time on prayer uh, that he does in, in the spiritual disciplines. If you look at Matthew chapter 6, Jesus spends two or three times more time talking about prayer than he does about almsgiving or about fasting. And as we look at these verses that we've read this afternoon, what we want to see is that as Jesus speaks so much about prayer in this section, He's giving us encouragements to pray. This, in this passage, Jesus gives us encouragements to pray. And we want to see three of those encouragements this afternoon. First of all, we're encouraged to pray because God infinitely knows us. We're encouraged to pray by the fact that God graciously teaches us. And lastly, we're encouraged to pray because God miraculously saves us. The first encouragement or the, the first motivation Jesus gives us is that uh, God infinitely knows us. As we look at, at the verses that we read, starting in verse 7 in particular, in, in particular, although we'll reference back to verse 5 and 6, Jesus once again, as he, he teaches about prayer, uh, begins with a negative. He, he teaches his hearers what they're not to do. And he says in verse 7, don't pray like the heathens. Don't pray like the Gentiles. You can look back in verse 5 and see that he is, has given instructions not to pray like the hypocrites or, or not to pray like the Pharisees. But here in verse 7, Jesus begins by saying, don't pray like the heathens. Don't pray like pagan people. 
They think they are heard because of all the phrases they use or, or, or the repetition they use. Jesus says, don't do that. Don't use empty phrases. Don't use vain repetitions. Literally, the Greek word means babbling. Don't babble when you pray. We see uh, an example of what Jesus is talking about here. If we would go back to the Old Testament, in 1 Kings chapter 18, we have the account of the prophet Elijah and his showdown with the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. If you don't know the story, uh, the background is that the nation of Israel, God's people, had, had adopted the worship of, of a pagan god, Baal, and Elijah was one of God's prophets. And, and eventually he, he comes and, and he says, let's see who's really God. And he gets 450 prophets of Baal and they go up onto this mountain and each of them build an altar and, and, and lay a bull on the altar. And the challenge was, call out to your God and the God that answers by sending fire down on the sacrifice. He is the true God. And so the prophets of Baal, all 450 of them, they, they build their altar, they, they kill the bull, they lay it on the altar and they begin praying and chanting and dancing and even, even hurting themselves, trying to, get God's, uh, trying to get Baal's attention. Of course, Baal was a God that didn't exist, and so he didn't answer. But that's the idea that Jesus is getting at, this hours long, the, uh, what the prophets of Baal were doing, this hours long of, of chanting and praying in order to get God's attention. Although we might not do that today, this is something that we need to be on guard against as well as Christians in our day and age. It can be easy to pray quite mindlessly, to ramble on in certain ways, to repeat certain words without really realizing what we're doing. Or we can feel that if we use certain words or if we have a certain tone, as we pray, that, that that's more pleasing to God, that he will hear us uh, because of that tone. Or we can think that long prayers are better, and so we try to find ways to heap up words on top of each other to, to make our prayers longer, thinking that that adds value to our prayers. Now, some of these things aren't bad. It's not wrong to have an earnest tone as we pray if it's heartfelt. It's not wrong. There's a proper place for longer prayers. But as we saw this morning, what we want to see again this afternoon is the reality that Jesus, although the outward forms are important, Jesus ultimately isn't concerned about that. He's concerned about our hearts. He's concerned about our hearts being involved in everything that we do, including prayer. This is what question and answer 117 picks up on as well. It mentions that one of the requirements or, or one of the criteria, as it were, of a prayer that is pleasing to God is that it comes from the heart. Now this is all background to the main point that Jesus is trying to make in verses 7 and 8, which is this. Jesus' main point is that God knows us. That God knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows everything you need, even more than you do. Everything about him is known. Nothing escapes his attention. This is the reason why Jesus forbids vain repetitions and babbling, because God is not a God 
who is unaware. God's not a God who doesn't know the needs of his people. Jesus emphasizes over and over again in this passage that God is a father to his people. He's a father who loves his people, who cares for them, who provides for them. If you look in the verses that we just read, six times Jesus mentions God as a father to his people. A father who knows his people, who knows what they need, who knows what they need even before they ask. One summer when I was in university, I worked for a pool company, which sounds like a fun summer job until it's 30 degrees and humid and you can't actually jump into the pool that you're working on. But anyway, the ideal scenario um, in some context, if we were setting up a pool house or something like that, was that the, the laborer would know the piece of pipe that his coworker needed and have it glued and ready to hand to his coworker right when he needed it. I was not the ideal laborer, so that did not happen with me, but it did for others. In a much greater way, God knows exactly what we need, even before we ask. He knows exactly what we need from even before the foundation of the world. Now a challenge to this might be why pray? If God knows everything that we need, why do we need to pray? Maybe you've wrestled with this question yourself and it's a, a good question to ask. But I want to reframe that for us here this afternoon by saying this. It's precisely because God knows exactly what we need that we find encouragement to pray. It's exactly because God knows what we need that we find the encouragement to pray. This is what Jesus is laying before us. We don't need to pray like the Gentiles. We don't need to try to find ways to twist God's arm with with our words in order to receive what we need. We don't need to earn a hearing with God by praying for a certain length or, uh, of time or, or using certain words. Because God knows what we need, we, we can come into God's presence and, and pray simply. Pray from our hearts. Pray knowing that He already knows what's best for us and it's His good pleasure and will to give us exactly what we need, even if it doesn't look like what we think we need. And furthermore, in these verses as well, Jesus is calling us to trust in him. When we think about prayer, there's a couple purposes prayer has. One is ultimately that it brings glory and honor to God. But another way God uses prayer is to shape us. To shape and to train our hearts. To teach us to be a people who are dependent Upon him to teach us to be a people who trust him with all our hearts, who depend on him for everything. In this way, we can say that prayer is a means of grace because it's a, a means that God uses to help us in our sanctification, to help us become more and more like Jesus. And he does it by helping us to trust in him, to trust that he knows what's best for us, that he knows exactly what we need. And so we receive comfort. We can receive much comfort from this reality that God knows us. But how do we pray? How do we know what things we are to pray for or what words to say? I want to see, secondly, from verses uh, 9 through 13, 
that God graciously teaches us to pray. He graciously teaches us to pray. If you're looking at your Bibles, this, of course, is the section where Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer. And in in the parallel passage in Luke chapter 11, it's interesting to note that Jesus teaches the Lord's Prayer after his disciples come to him and ask him to teach them to pray. But for our consideration here in the Sermon on the Mount, a significant thing to note is that not only is the Lord's Prayer part of the Sermon on the Mount, scholars note and argue that the the Lord's Prayer is the very center of the Sermon on the Mount. It's right in the middle of the entire sermon, meaning that Jesus is drawing our attention to this. He's not only concerned with the why of, of prayer, he also wants to teach us the how of prayer. The Lord's Prayer is, is, is very well known, even if you haven't grown up in church or been to church for a long time, you perhaps have heard it recited or recited it yourself. And that's one way it can be used. It, it, it's a helpful prayer to, to recite. But Jesus has more in mind than simply giving us words to repeat a prayer to recite. Jesus is here giving us an example of prayer. He's giving us a a guide or a handbook uh, to praying. He's he's giving us the ingredients, as it were, of a prayer that is pleasing to God, that's simple and direct and recognizes that God knows what we need. One other thing to observe as we we look at the Lord's Prayer is that there's really a parallel uh, between the Ten Commandments. We read the Ten Commandments this morning uh, from Exodus 20. And if you read the Ten Commandments, you you note that there's two parts to it. The first four commandments deal with how we love God. And the second six commandments then deal with how we're to love our neighbor as ourself. Well, in the Lord's Prayer, if you look at the the petitions in, in these verses, the first several lines deal with bringing glory and honor and praising God for who he is and and what he is doing. And then the second part is a prayer uh, for what we need, both physically and spiritually, from God. There's that pattern once again of, first of all, worshiping and glorying in God and then praying for the needs that we have, which teaches us that our priority in prayer is to be the glory of God. Our priority in prayer is longing for God's name to be lifted up, to be worshipped, to be glorified, for His kingdom uh, to come in full, for God's rule and reign to extend over all the earth. We're praying that His will and desires would come to pass. This is the point that question and answer 116 also makes in the Catechism. That prayer is the most important part of our worship and our thankfulness to God. You can say it this way. Prayer is a response of gratitude and worship to God for everything that he has done. For the grace that he has shown us and also saving us in Jesus Christ. And so because of that, we come to God recognizing how great and how glorious He is. And that's the point where prayer starts. Prayer starts with recognizing what God has done. 
But God also isn't unaware of our own needs, our own practical needs, physically and spiritually. He's, we, we recognize that God has made us both, both body and soul, and, and in his goodness he provides all that we need for our, our physical well-being and our spiritual well-being. It's interesting to note that in Jesus' ministry, there's two times where he provides food for multitudes of people. There's the, the account of the feeding of the 5,000 and, and later on of the 4,000. And so Jesus here also teaches us that we, we are to pray that God would provide for our physical needs. But he also teaches us to pray for our spiritual needs as well. Things like the forgiveness of our sins. Things like God's help in fighting against sin and temptation. In summary, we can say with question and answer 118 that God, that Jesus is teaching us to pray for all that we need spiritually and physically. So what can this look like practically? How can we get practical helps in, in prayer? Just a few suggestions that, that, that come to mind. One is to pray the words of the Bible back to God. Can focus in on the psalm for a moment because the psalms have been described as, as the prayer book of God's people. Something very practical to do can be to read a psalm or read a few verses of a psalm and then turn those back into a prayer to God, praying God's word back to Him. You can do that with the Lord's Prayer as well in really any section of Scripture. It can also be helpful to, to hear and learn from the prayers of others. Throughout history, there, there's various books such as the Valley of Vision that are a record of, of the prayers of, of pastors and Christians from past centuries that give a, a glorious window into what their prayer life was and, and how to come before God uh, with reverence and awe and also praying for our needs. Another very practical thing can be simply listen to the prayers of others in Bible studies and in whatever context you find. Listen to the prayers of people who have walked with Jesus for a long time. Pay attention to, to how they approach praying, uh, to the focus of their prayers. We can learn much as we, we interact with others and, and pray with others. But then how can we be certain that God actually hears us? what we want to see in the third point in verses 14 and 15 that God miraculously saves us verses 14 and 15 these are very interesting verses if you just read them on the surface it can sound like Jesus is saying that God that you can only be saved you'll only be forgiven if you save or if you forgive other people it can kind of sound like there's, there's a way in which we need to earn God's forgiveness or earn a God's salvation. But this isn't the case. The Bible's full of the fact that we're saved only by grace uh, through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And furthermore, if we, we understand, step back and, and seek to understand the context of the Sermon on the Mount, we need to understand that the Sermon on the Mount is not a checklist of things to do in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Rather, the Sermon on the Mount is a description of what life in the kingdom of heaven looks like. It describes what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be part of God's family. 
And then because this is the case, as we read verse 14 and 15, we can recognize that Jesus is focusing in on the reality of the forgiveness that God's people experience. He's focusing on the reality that God's people are forgiven and then speaking to the response that that ought to bring. What Jesus wants to see, what Jesus wants us to see as he teaches us to pray is our own great need for forgiveness. We can call this the the bad news of the gospel, that Jesus is pointing out that we are much worse sinners than we like to think we are. That's the very reason he's giving us this petition. We need this petition because we are sinners. But that also points us to the good news. The good news that we have been forgiven by Jesus himself. The good news that we have complete forgiveness in Jesus. The very one who is calling us to forgive others is the one who himself gave up his life so that we can be forgiven. And he did this by taking, by being on the cross, taking the punishment for our sins on himself, suffering the wrath of God in our place so that we can have a right standing before God, that our sins are washed away and we are made new people in the presence of God. And not only this, as great and glorious as this is, there's something better. There's something great as well. And that's what the book of Hebrews says, that even now, Jesus is at work on behalf of his people. He continually does the work of a high priest in the presence of God. Hebrews 7, verse 25 says this. It says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Here's what this means. It means, as we think about encouragement to pray, this means that the greatest encouragement comes from the fact that the Jesus who died for you, the Jesus who rose again to new life, the Jesus who ascended with all power and all authority, is the Jesus who is right now at God's right hand, so that when you pray, in the very moments you are praying, Jesus is bringing your requests, your prayers, your petitions to God at that very moment. It's an incredible thought, isn't it? That the very moment we pray, Jesus is our mediator, he's our intercessor, he's bringing our our prayers before God. And Romans 8 also tells us that even when we don't know how to pray, The Holy Spirit is interceding for us with groans that can't be uttered. You're encouraged by the fact that Jesus is our mediator, that he prays for us and with us and intercedes on our behalf before God. Prayer is still hard. Prayer is still hard as we we journey in this Christian life. It's one of the ways we have have deep fellowship and and communion with God, and so it's one of the ways that Satan is going to attack most ferociously. But as we look at Jesus' words, as we consider the Sermon on the Mount, what what he has been saying to us in this passage, 
We can be encouraged as we, we press on in prayer. Encouraged because we're reminded that God knows us. That he knows our needs. And that he hears us. We're encouraged by the reality that Jesus teaches us. That Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark. He teaches us how we're to pray in a way that glorifies and honors God. And then we're encouraged by the fact that we are forgiven for Jesus' sake. And because we're forgiven, we're made children of God. The door of heaven, as it were, is open to us to bring our prayers to God. And Jesus himself intercedes before our Father. Our Father who loves us. Our Father who hears us. Our Father who's continually calling us, inviting us into his presence to pray. So as we consider these encouragements, may we be a people who are known for prayer. May we be a church that's characterized as a praying church. Let's come before God in prayer.